Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. My name is Dr. Justin Laymiller. I am a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. In today's episode, we're gonna be talking all about the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic and the various ways that it's impacting our intimate lives. It goes without saying that these are unprecedented times. We've never had a situation quite like this before where so much of the world is living under lockdown and shelter in place restrictions and where we have all of these social distancing guidelines that have been put in place that prevent us from going out and interacting with the world in the way that we typically would. This obviously has enormous implications for our sexual and romantic lives. For example, for people who are single, there are huge implications here in terms of how one goes about managing dating and casual sex. In addition, for people who are living with a romantic partner, there are a different set of challenges in terms of navigating issues of personal space at home, as well as maintaining a healthy sex life during times when one or both partners might feel really stressed or anxious. So there's a lot to talk about and unpack here. And in order to talk about these issues and some of the challenges people are experiencing and some of the ways that we can cope with them more effectively, I've invited a guest onto the program who is not only a dear friend, but also an expert in studying and treating sexual difficulties. Specifically, we're going to be talking to Dr. Lori Brado. Dr. Brado is a professor at the University of British Columbia. She is also the Canada Research Chair in Women's Sexual Health and has a long record of research looking at sexual difficulties and dysfunctions and helping us to better understand them and also how to treat them. We have a lot of topics that we want to get to, including not just what are some of the challenges that people are facing right now from singles to couples and beyond, but also how this situation is creating unique opportunities for us to redefine intimacy and pleasure, and also to explore ourselves sexually. There's a lot that we're going to unpack here, so let's get right to it. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the Second Psychology Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. So we are living in very unusual times right now with this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic and many people around the world living in lockdowns, quarantines, and shelter-in-place orders. And it's affecting us and our intimate lives in a lot of different ways, including both people who are single as well as those who are living with a partner and those who may be in multiple relationships right now. I'm curious as to, as a sex therapist, what you're seeing in your clinical practice right now. What are some of the unique issues that you're encountering regarding sex relationships and intimacy? And how is it different from maybe what you've encountered during more typical times? It's a great uh, question, Justin. And it's a really important question because as time is going on, we're having to grapple with the reality that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And this potentially might continue for for many, many months to come. And one of the things that struck me in, in, uh, I think, early on in the epidemic, say within the first week of social distancing and and, um, many of the regulations around that, 
was um, I was hearing from my clients the sense of, wow, because we're home together, I'm home together with my partner, for, for folks who live with a partner, um, this might afford more opportunities for sex. And this is a great thing. And that was sort of quickly turned on its side when we realized just how much of our lives, all aspects of our lives would be impacted. Um, and in particular, um, the working from home and sort of the, the logistics of setting up home offices, especially if there's multiple people in the home, um, fighting over one or two computers, especially if there are older or much younger people in the home that um, we're caretaking for, um, and the sheer amount of stress that we've been experiencing and, and certainly hearing from many of my clients spending endless hours on the computer and on television, um, taking up all of the news. And it's created now what we're seeing is this kind of chronic stress. And we know that evolutionarily, we can ad adapt and adjust quite well to short-term acute stressors, our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis um, has evolved to allow us to adapt really quickly to those stressors. But if they continue on, then we see real disruptions in our brain's ability to, uh, to manage and cope with that. Um, and there's some separate research actually that tells us that the impact of those day-to-day -day stressors can be even greater than a single traumatic event. So what I'm seeing now is, is really the kind of sequelae of a chronic stress situation on sexuality and some of those initial um, aspirations of sex being more frequent um, have faded, especially among the clients I'm seeing with sexual problems. So I'm seeing the reasons for sex are changing. So perhaps having sex out of obligation or having sex because um, it's a way to manage um, un an unhelpful conflict in the relationship or a way of if it's a partner who becomes more belligerent around when sex is uh, infrequent. And so we're seeing, I'm certainly seeing more unhelpful reasons or what we call avoidance related reasons to engage in sex. Um, and we're also seeing disrupted schedules. So as much as we're hearing about the importance of maintaining a regular schedule. Again, if people in the home are trying to um, tag team with available uh, computers and media, et cetera, it does mean that there may be one partner who has a certain schedule and a different partner who has another. And I'm seeing more of that now than um, this kind of mismatch schedule before COVID-19 hit. Yeah, your clinical observations line up pretty well with what we're seeing in our research. Some of my colleagues at Kinsey and I are doing a study right now looking at how this situation is affecting people's intimate and romantic lives because we want to actually have some data to say what's happening. And it's interesting when we look at our data versus the popular media narrative about sex right now, where we see story after story saying that everybody's horny right now, everyone has all this extra leisure time on their hands, so they're going to be having so much more sex, and there's going to be this big baby boom nine months from now. But what we're seeing in our data is that the overall trend is that people are having less sex, not more, and that they're masturbating less. Mm -hmm. there, there do seem to be a small number of people for whom... Uh, very frequent sexual activity is increasing, um, mm -hmm. but it's a much greater increase at the other end of the spectrum where there's just no behavior. And I suspect it's very much tied to what you're talking about with the chronic stress and anxiety mm -hmm. impeding 
uh, sexual desire and arousal. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'll say I'll just make a comment about that, Justin, because some of the work actually that came out of the Kinsey Institute. 20 years ago, also found that there's a subset of individuals that at times of depression and anxiety actually show an increase in sexual behavior. And so I would I would want to unpack those um, current data, looking at the folks who are much more sexually active. Is it a coping skill to deal with the chronic stress and depression and anxiety? Or is it coming from a place of increased desire? And can we tell the difference between those two different groups? I think that would make for a really important uh, research contribution. Yeah, and I think theoretically there are a few different explanations there. Uh, I've written a little bit about this on the blog where you could look at this through the the dual control model of sexual response, which is what you were referring to, where some people are just, their propensity is to be very easily inhibited when it comes to sex. And so chronic stress is really going to make it very difficult and challenging for them to feel arousal. But there are some people who are very easily excited, you know, that that gas pedal uh, for sex is just much easier to press. And those individuals might be more likely to funnel something like depression or anxiety or or other uh, issues like that into an increased sexual response. And mm-hmm. then there's also the other way to think about it, which is through the lens of terror management theory, where people right. are coping with existential threats. And yeah. we see in some research that sometimes when people have this death anxiety, one of the ways that they cope is through sexual behavior because it makes mm-hmm. them feel alive. So exactly. those are definitely things that we want to look at and unpack in some of our our work in this area. So what are your suggestions for people who might be feeling a lot of stress and anxiety right now and who are finding it really challenging to navigate their their intimate lives? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if if we if we do not have an effective stress management skill, now's the time to find one. <laughs> and we know that there are many different ways that we can cope with a stressful situation. My strongest recommendation is find one that you're actually going to put into place. So now is not the time to take on a really extensive and intensive and comprehensive anxiety management 10-week program that you need to do for several hours a day. Um, So look at what works best for you. So for some people, it's distraction, right? So um, there are some folks that watching Netflix or um, uh, tuning out in other ways is a really effective way for them to manage stress. Now, we know in the psychological literature that distraction-based strategies can only work for so long. So as a a short-term coping skill, um, especially say you're feeling extremely overwhelmed or you're having a panic attack, um, there is some evidence that distraction-based strategies can work. Um, There's a lot of evidence to support mindfulness-based strategies, even if done for about five minutes a day um, of of a daily mindfulness practice can be very effective for coping with stress. And we see improvements not only in self-report measures of stress, but also in our physiological response uh, to stress. So looking at um, cortisol response um, responds very, very um, nicely to to, um, anxiety management strategies. 
of course, tons of data to support the role of um, physical activity and exercise. And again, this doesn't mean going from no exercise to a super intensive daily boot camp, but rather some degree of exercise. And of course, that's going to be impacted by the particular city that you live in and whether there are lockdown regulations, in which case maybe you're walking around your apartment um, or around your, your home um, versus if you're still permitted to go outside with appropriate social distancing. Um, but exercise at this time is, um, has, has been, we've actually seen increasing levels of exercise. And again, exercise is a really, really effective anxiety management strategy. So for folks who are um, uh, interested in continuing to engage in sexual activity, continuing to cultivate their sexual desire, again, planning it, prioritizing it, um, and this actually affords us an opportunity because we're at home to maybe have sex at a different time of the day than you normally would if you're going to a different place of work. So I, I always say to people, have sex when you're most awake, when you have the most energy, when your gas tank is full. And if that means 8 a.m. On a, on a Wednesday morning, fantastic. Plan it for that time, prioritize it, um, and uh, then once the gas tank is depleted, you can sort of go on to the other less important activities of, of the day. So yeah, I think the take home message is that um, anxiety management and coping um, is is a prerequisite for, for healthy sexuality. So you want to make sure that we're doing both. I love everything that you said. And I think that's all great advice and, and recommendations. And, uh, you know, I fully agree with you about having sex at the time that it feels right. And when you're alert and awake and energetic, and personally, I think afternoon sex is very underrated, right? It doesn't, <laughs> sex doesn't just have to be this thing you do at night, right before you go to bed, when you shut all the lights off. And, you know, there, there are all kinds of opportunities here. And something we've seen in our Kinsey Institute data is that people are being more sexually explorative now than they were before the pandemic began. So one of the things we looked at were, what are some of the new additions that people have made to their sex life since they've been under these lockdown and quarantine and social distancing restrictions? And one of the things we saw that is of great interest to me as somebody who studies sexual fantasies is that there were several people who were talking about how they had shared their fantasies with their partner mm. for the first mm. time, uh, mm. or they had incorporated some new technology into their sex life by experimenting mm. with sexting or phone sex. So there's there's all mm. kinds of interesting opportunities here, um, and, which is a different way to think about it rather than just thinking about all the challenges and difficulties that this situation mm -hmm. poses. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's about making uh, lemonade out of lemons and, and for, um, for, for some folks, this might be the right time to finally have that conversation with a partner that you've been wanting to have, um, but haven't had the privacy or the time or the comfort level to have that. And so, um, again, I think, you know, because communication is such a critical part of healthy sexuality, uh, both verbal communication as well as nonverbal communication, maybe that could be something that you build into your week is, you know, in the same way that we're going to build in having dinner together a couple of nights a week, we're going to actually build in time where we talk about our sexuality and talk about what we like and what we don't like, and maybe even talk about some new things that we want to do. Mm -hmm. Now, we've talked a lot about couples and people in relationships. What about singles and people who have this strong desire for intimate and, and physical contact with somebody else, but they can't meet that need 
right now because of restrictions and rules that they're under. What what can they do to try and create that sense of intimacy, belongingness, social connection, emotional connection that, that they're really looking for and craving? Yeah, well, first I would say they should read your book because <laughs> fantasy is a, is a fantastic um, additional tool to all of our sexual repertoires. Um, but, uh, but in addition to that, I think, I think that there are some you know, unique um, struggles that folks who are single are, are facing because they're not able to get out and meet folks face to face and um, engage in that uh, kind of very normative um, physical sexual interaction that they normally would. So is now a time to get creative with other means, sharing erotic stories, maybe with someone you need online, uh, voice recording something and sending it. Cyber sex is always an option as long as one is very, very careful with privacy settings on the different mediums that they're doing. Um, and so could this be an opportunity where the lack of physical contact actually is an opportunity to almost enhance desire and craving and fantasy because that physical element is, uh, is not an option for you right now. So um, I think it's important um, for listeners to recognize that you know, healthy sexuality is not just for partnered folks, that it's also incredibly important for folks who are not in a relationship. And so there are some unique um, uh, barriers, but also I think some unique opportunities for, for single people at this time. Mm -hmm. Also anecdotally, I've heard about some singles who have basically found that this situation has made them realize that maybe they don't need a relationship mm -hmm. and that they're actually they're doing really well on their own yeah. and they wouldn't have really had this opportunity had these restrictions and limitations not been in place. And, and so some people are finding that they're actually a lot more self-sufficient and self-reliant than, than they ever thought, which is another potential, you know, benefit and opportunity of some of this is that it's, it can really teach people about themselves and what they can do and what they're capable of on their own. Yeah, love that. And again, it's a making lemonade out of lemons kinds of kind of a situation when you're forced into it. Um, how can we be adaptive and, and see is there some kind of meaning making that we can we can draw from from this very, very surreal time that we're in? Yeah. One last thing I wanted to ask you about to, to kind of go back to something you were talking about at the beginning, you mentioned that you're seeing some clients who are reporting more avoidance based reasons for sex. And they're not having sex because it's something that they truly, really want and, and desire. What do you suggest to people who might find themselves in that kind of really tough situation where they're having sex just to, to placate a partner and it's not something that they really want and they don't really know how to, to manage and navigate this? Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Justin. So, you know, I think first of all, um, recognizing that we have reasons for sex is the very first step. And I know that whenever I raise that with the people I work with, um, that there's often a sort of puzzled look, which is, oh, we have reasons for sex. <laughs> and then, of course, I um, uh, paraphrase the literature, which finds that, you know, there's actually at least 237 distinct reasons for sex. And some, a lot of them have nothing to do with sexuality, even. Um, so I think first and foremost, recognizing and asking yourself, you know, why am I having sex? What are, what are my reasons? What's in it for me? What's in it for my partner? Am I doing this um, to acquire something good 
And that would be to get intimacy, to have that great orgasm, to get to sleep, to break up the day. Those are all great reasons to have sex. But all, are you also engaging in sex to avoid something bad, to avoid a fight, to avoid a belligerent partner, to avoid physical or emotional harm in that relationship? And if but it's the latter that is happening, especially if there are any threats to your physical or emotional safety or anyone else's, and that's the reason, that's very clearly a situation of abuse um, and, and should be treated very, very seriously. Um, in um, other situations where there are, you're, it's still uh, having sex to uh, avoid something negative, you know, I think it really depends on the relationship that you're in. Um, I, I'm a big fan of being able to talk about this with a partner and talk about the fact that, you know, I'm noticing that I'm, I'm ha I, I, I used to really want to have sex with you and, um, and I'm doing so now because I'm worried about how we're going to get along and how do we get back on track? And maybe it's a conversation about considering what is that person's positive reasons for engaging in sex again. So I often send people the list of different reasons for sex and ask them to check off ones that they might consider adopting and incorporating. Oh, I never thought about having sex as a way of getting to sleep or as a way of coping with stress or as a way of whatever the reason is. So it's, it can be something that we actually adopt we can try on some of those reasons. Um, so yeah, I think first and foremost is asking yourself, um, having that honest conversation, what are my reasons? And then starting to unpack, are they, are they for good reasons or, or to avoid something really negative? Mm -hmm. And if they're getting into the really negative territory, then that is likely an indicator that it might be time to seek some professional help and guidance in terms of managing a potentially dangerous and unhealthy situation. Yes, 100%. And, you know, in the face of COVID, um, we are very quickly seeing rates of um, difficulty coping and anxiety and stress increasing. And so one of the things I've certainly appreciated is the increase in the available online resources to help support people. So please, if you are someone who's in a dangerous situation, ask for help. And if you don't know how to ask for help, reach out to your primary care provider, um, contact Justin, find out what are the local resources and evidence-based um, places that you can get help. Um, and, uh, and please don't suffer in silence. Yeah. And I think that's such an important message is that there are lots of resources out there and some of them don't even require you to, to leave your own home. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so definitely seek the help if, if you're in a, a situation like that and need it. So thank you very much, Lori, for discussing all of this with me. I appreciate all of your clinical insights and your advice and recommendations. As always, you are a wealth of knowledge. And I would encourage listeners to check out your most recent book. It's titled Better Sex Through Mindfulness. And I think it's particularly, it's always relevant, but it's particularly relevant <laughs> at this point in time when so many of us are dealing with chronic stress and anxiety. And there are lots of tools and exercises in there for helping you to kind of get out of your head and to live in the moment and to be able to relax and enjoy sex and intimacy with your partner. So I highly recommend her book. So thank you again, Lori. Thank you so much. Take care, Justin. Thanks.